Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This week, our students will start with the second term. Our school will, schools will resume their educational calling and responsibility. Together as parents, school and church, we know the education triangle, we seek to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. We want our children and especially our teenagers, to develop a biblical worldview and lifestyle. To be happy and safe learners, worshipping the covenant God of their baptism, also as young believers. And so we have formed a parent association and elected a school board to steer and direct this education process. And we have gifted principals, teachers and support staff working every day to do what we as parents most probably would not have been able to do ourselves. To support this work, we all need to financially contribute to the Parents Association. Beloved, because the covenant children in the church are not only the parents' responsibility, but all the church members. Sure, the parents have the first responsibility, but because they made the vows during the baptism of their children. But they've done so amidst the congregation, with the other brothers and sisters not only witnessing, but also being called to support the parents in their tasks. Now the challenge, however, congregation, is that we tend to depend heavily on the schools when raising our children especially teenagers. Parents of especially teenagers often feel incompetent in guiding their teenage children. They often search for answers on how to guide them by, by reading books, how to deal with the challenging phase of their children's lives, or they ask advice, ask advice from, from their family, from friends, elders, other members in the church. But on a day-by-day -day basis, parents, and particularly those of, of teenagers, must often sort things out all by themselves. And sure, as parents, we say that our ultimate source on how, in how to raise our teenagers is, of course, the Word of God. It's the same source which is used in the church and in our schools. But where in the Bible do Reformed parents find the answers on questions like, how do I educate my children with regards to sexuality? Or how do I guide them in using internet, watching Netflix, or playing computer games? Or even more complex to deal with anorexia, depression, porn addiction, or the pressure of social media. Or as grandparents, elders, and non-parents, how do we advise and support parents from God's Word to find answers to these kinds of questions? Are we just quoting from our own experience and giving the same cliche answers as 40 or 50 years ago? And how do we as 
teenagers learn by them from Scripture to live a blessed and a reforming life before the Lord. Congregation, our text gives us some direction. So I preach you the word under this theme, learning how to live a blessed and reforming life before the Lord. It requires thoughtful reflection, and second, is meaningfully done together. Learning how to live a blessed and reforming life before the Lord requires thoughtful reflection and is meaningfully done together. Beloved, we all know that covenant teenagers of reformed parents are not always raised in the same way. I already mentioned the example of sexual education. How do I educate my teenage son or daughter with regards to sexuality? At what age do I start? And what should I tell them? How do I talk to them about pornography? Some parents are just too embarrassed to talk about it or simply hand them a book to read about sexuality. Others start at a young age and speak quite openly about it. Or another example regarding the use of internet, watching Netflix or playing computer games. Why is it that in the one reformed home, nearly everything is allowed? Well, in the other reformed home, extreme rigid rules are applied. How could this be? As both homes have the Bible as source to guide their teenagers. Would it not have been much easier if we could all agree on just one set of rules that deals with every little aspect of raising reformed teenagers. And then, what is allowed or forbidden in one reformed home will also be allowed and forbidden in the other. Teenagers will then be less confused, and no parent will have to struggle again when having a problem with their teenagers. Just check the FRCA, How to Raise My Teenager book or website, apply the rule, and voila! Problem solved. The thing is, the Bible doesn't work that way, brothers and sisters, and God doesn't work that way. God created each child, in fact, every person, in a unique way. And within this uniqueness, each one has his own gifts and responsibilities. We don't raise blessed and reforming children by just rigidly applying a set of home rules. Like, this is the way I've been raised, therefore this is the way you will be raised. And when we get stuck, we just yell at one another and hope for better days. No, each parent and each teenager needs to find a way to grow in living a blessed and reforming life before the Lord. And how does this happen? Paul gives direction. To live a blessed life before the Lord, Paul instructs meditation or thoughtful reflection on Scripture. In our text, Paul applies it to the whole congregation in Philippi. Paul addresses them as brethren, thus young and old, including parents and young, children, young people. In Christ, they are members of God's household and citizens of his heavenly kingdom. So they are all addressed 
And on what do they need to meditate or thoughtfully reflect? Well, the list begins with whatever things are true. Sometimes you hear parents saying to their teenagers, what is true for you is not always true for me. I'm the parent, you are the child. Now, the latter may be true, but this is not what Paul means by true things. Truth in the Bible, congregation, stands against falsehood. While the devil, the father of all lies, represents falsehood, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. He is truthful and also the source of all that is true. The gospel and that of our salvation is the word of truth, Ephesians 1.13. And so as parents and teenagers, Paul calls us to, to meditate on truth and true things. For example, what truth do we find in Christ and in His Word about sexuality and about pornography? Not what I think is the right approach for my children and my teenagers in my house that drives me crazy with their behavior and their questions, but what answers, which answers, which blessed ways are based on the truth in Christ and His Word? And both as parents and as teenagers, we allow our thoughts to be shaped by the truth of Christ, by His Spirit, with and through what we find in Scripture. The same approach accounts for the second point of meditation. Whatever is noble. And beloved, this refers to whatever is honorable, worthy of respect, noble. So not only the fact that Christ came to earth to lay down His life for sinners, but also how He is busy working towards the completion of His kingdom. So whatever fits the heavenly kingdom and His kingdom, that what is noble, this way we should go as parents and teenagers. And so we thoughtfully reflect on things like, how do I deal with authority? both as parent and as a teenager, in a noble way, with Him as our King? Do we put everything in our lives under His rule and live in the light of His kingship and kingdom? Next, Paul speaks about whatever is just or right. And no, not in the sense of what is right and wrong, first of all, but how does the righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel shape my life and that of my children and my teenager. And so both parents and teenagers have received this complete, unique, and unexpected righteousness through faith in Christ. And this righteousness does not come from us, but it is imputed to us. And therefore it should also be reflected by us. And the effect of that in your personal life and that of, for example, your teenager will be, are you willing, after an argument with your son or daughter or with your mom and dad, to find peace and forgive one another? Or do you remain angry for days on end? 
Is Christ's righteousness resulting in forgiveness? Is that evident in your life? Meditate on this. And ask yourself, how can I be more Christ-like in my, communion, my, my communication with my teenager or in my communication with my parents? Next, Paul instructs to meditate on whatever things are pure. What does Paul mean by pure? Well, purity is about conformity to God's standards. Being pure is to be without blemish and stain like the Passover lamb. Again, this brings us and this points us to Christ, the Lamb of God, who was indeed without blemish or defect. And so when we fix our minds on whatever is pure, this is where we can start with Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. His blood covers my sins as a parent but also the sins of my teenage son or daughter. God looks at us both as being pure in Christ. And therefore, we can meditate on pure things. Our minds should not be occupied with impure thoughts. And that refers to a wide swath of areas, including not, but not only the sexual. Beloved, pure thoughts refer to whatever conforms to God's law. And so we train our minds to delight in His holiness. And we ask ourselves, is the music that I listen to, or the TV shows that I watch, or the movies, the magazines, the website, or whatever you watch, are they pure? Or are they littered with blasphemy? lies and adultery. What grasps our attention? And with what do we fill our heads? Are they pure according to God's will? Therefore, Paul rather calls us to a habit of meditating on what is pure. Next on the list is to meditate on whatever is lovely. We could also say whatever is pleasing, acceptable, agreeable. We've spoken about what is pure. And Paul calls us in our thinking, in our talking as parents and as teenagers to meditate, to, to focus on what is pure. Next on the list is to meditate on whatever things are lovely. And we could also say whatever is, is pleasing, acceptable, what is, what is agreeable, whatever deserves our love and our affection. And again, it starts with Christ and all those things our Savior has revealed in the gospel. Think, for example, of all the Psalms, lovely Psalms, or the Beatitudes. Things that are lovely to hear, to ponder about. Whatever is of good report. That's the next point Paul wants us to thoughtfully reflect on. The original word implies things that we can speak positively about. Things of good repute, praiseworthy, laudable. We are to let our minds 
dwell on things that can be praised. Not only by men, but also things that can be praised by God. If God delights in my teenager or in my parents, should I not also delight in them and speak positively about them before others? If God hates something they do or say, shouldn't I address it? Should not I address it in a Christ-like way? And so you thoughtfully reflect on what is praiseworthy in God's eyes. Not just taking a, a few moments, minutes, quiet time every day to, to sit back and relax and reflect and, or meditate on these things. No, these things become part of your daily mindset. You focus your mind upon these things regularly. Now, let's, let's apply what Paul says here um, in, in, a, in a practical example. How do I, through thoughtful reflection, learn from the Bible how my teenager should, for example, deal with the internet, Netflix, computer games, or smartphone, in a blessed and in a reforming way? No, the Bible does not mention these things specifically. But it does refer to elements that relate to this. And on these things we, we meditate. The Bible does speak about responsible time management. Ephesians 5 verse 16. And so I think about this and I ask myself, <clears throat> how can I endless, spend endless of hours watching movie after movie? Is that responsible time management? Ephesians 5 verse 16. When God's word speak about, speaks about laziness, Proverbs 6 verse 6, then I meditate on these things. How then can I spend hours in my room as a teenager doing pretty much nothing? Matthew 5 28, Jesus says that you may not enjoy the body of another man or woman when it appears naked on your screen. So how can I, as a teenage guy or girl, watch porn online? Even when it's a matter of curiosity. And parents, don't forget to read Proverbs or Songs of Solomon with your teenager and meditate on it. Showing them how beautiful sexuality and sex is as a gift of God. In Exodus 20 verse 3, our Lord addresses idolatry. And if addiction is a form of idolatry, can I then make an idol of my computer games, my books, social media, sports, fishing, cars? Or by twittering negative things about other people, Exodus 20 verse 16? And if my teenage body, and also my heart and my mind belong to God, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, how can I allow it to be controlled by my self-image? See, beloved, as, as parents and teenagers, we need to meditate on these things. And as parents, we do not make all kinds of new laws and designing waterproof sets of structures 
of our own rules trying to protect our teenagers at all costs against anything that just smells like it might be dangerous. No, we meditate with them on what is true. And neither do you, teenagers, continuously seek how far you can stretch the boundaries. You meditate on what is true. And together, you search in love for the will of God, for His thoughts as He has recorded them in His Word. And together, you discover the boundaries He has set. And together, explore the freedom He has given in Christ. And that brings me to the second point, and with that we conclude. Learning how to live a blessed and reforming life before the Lord is only meaningfully done in a joint effort. Beloved, as mentioned, Paul does not write here to individual fathers and mothers or teenagers, but to the whole church. In doing what we have learned and received, we have not only a personal, but also a common responsibility. We thoughtfully reflect on it as a communion of saints. So, no 80-year-old-plus member could say this morning, Oh, Ref, you're not preaching to me this morning. You're only preaching to the parents and the teenagers. No. Paul repeatedly writes here in the second-person plural. Every person, every member is instructed. Also those who have no or no more teenagers at home. Also, those who have left home to live on themselves. We all need to meditate on whatever things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. Not only to help both parents and teenagers, but also to do these things ourselves. And this Paul adds in verse 9. If you want to experience God's peace in your life, don't only have thoughtful reflections on whatever <coughs> virtue or praiseworthy things, but also practice these things. Do them with joy in the Lord, verse 4. With gentleness to all men, verse 5. And in a prayer life without anxiety, verse 6. But most of all, do these things as you have learned and received and heard them from Paul. And this is related to what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take not note of those who live according to the pattern, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. And so inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul has said things like this elsewhere in the New Testament. Now it almost sounds arrogant when Paul says we should follow him. Oh, beloved, we must read these kinds of passages through the lens of what Paul writes and says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, it's much, it wasn't too much about following Paul as a person, but following Paul as he followed Christ. And this was especially relevant in the time of the apostles, when the apostles, when the gospels were not yet written. 
Apostles were pictures of how Christ lived and walked because they were eye and ear witness to his life. And so Paul, in his letter, taught and showed no one else but the crucified Christ. He taught and displayed the meaning of peace and reconciliation with God through the blood of Christ. He taught salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he also taught us what a redeemed life looks like. And so as parents, as teenagers, and as other members of his spiritual body, we are to recognize Jesus as Lord over every aspect of our lives, following the instructions of Paul. And we acknowledge that the Lord Jesus has authority over every element of raising children, guiding teenagers, and growing in a blessed and reforming life before the Lord. And so we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord over whatever we watch. And the amount of drinks we consume at parties, or even the hobbies we enjoy, and the work we we do. According to His promise, His Spirit will guide our thoughts, our words, our deeds to be Christ-centered, to be true, to be right, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. In all of this, we aim to glorify our King. And that is ultimately, ultimately the purpose of our lives. To praise the Lord. And therefore when we raise teenagers. We do not bombard them with rules. And regulations. In the first place. No we are leading them. To Jesus Christ. And through Jesus. To the Father. To praise him. With their works and deeds. Practically. And realistically. Show them to love God. And also showing them how God loves them. When is the last time that you told your teenager, God loves you? And when we support parents and teenagers, we do not do so in a haughty way. Sharing our wise ideas about how it can be done and how it was done when we were young. As if old traditions determine why some things are done and other things are left. No, we are responsible to take what we have learned from Christ through Paul, thoughtfully reflect on it within the times that we currently live in. And if we need to speak and act counterculture, let us not hesitate to do so, beloved. Standing in the Christian freedom we have received, as Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty in which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And at the same time, not use the freedom as an excuse to test all kinds of boundaries. Congregation, if we prayerfully and thoughtfully reflect on a blessed and reforming life before the Lord, 
we can then all give account to our Lord of our behavior. Then our personal responsibility is embedded in our common responsibility. It's a joint reflection on all kinds of questions, in particular on the moral and the relational education of our young people. Is that not the most important to all of us? Are issues such as money spending, drinking, sexuality, worship during the week and on Sundays not of common interest, not only for parents, teenagers, but all of us? We need each other in this. If we want to teach our young people to live blessed and reforming lives. And practically, it could imply that as adults, we organize an evening and meet with our teenagers to speak about things like sexuality. Or difficulties they encounter with regards to this. Something similar, like we did on the guys and girls night two weeks ago in Byford and Kelmscott. Or have a congregational Bible study on Song of Solomon, where all members from year, let's say, 9-10 upwards are involved. All together, thoughtfully and positively reflecting on whatever things are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Or as parents of teenagers, having an evening together to speak about and to encourage each other on godly ways to raise and guide our teenagers in this age. Search for wisdom for today by discussing, for example, Proverbs together. Or meditating together and applying what we have learned, received and heard from Paul on all different kinds of topics from these letters at home. With the aim to also build up the young people in the faith. And then, don't hesitate to ask each other about current issues. Why are your children, why can your children come home at 3 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Or, why are your children not allowed to go to the movies while they are allowed to watch all kinds of movies on Netflix? Also, what example do we as parents and other church members give our teenagers when it comes to things like drinking and time or money spending? I assume you can supplement these examples yourselves. By talking together, about this, we can remove a great deal of uncertainty, unrest, and dissatisfaction from our boys and girls and our parents. Oh, beloved, don't take me wrong. I do not argue for a strict uniformity in all kinds of areas. We must not pursue a uniform pattern of life. We are not Amish people. But for Christ's sake, let us not exchange our Christian freedom for a whole new bunch of new laws and regulations and rules. And let's not also blindly follow traditions, nor each wants his own or her own ideas. 
And let us also not just mess around, trying to find our own way. No, if we meaningfully meditate on this together and apply what we find in Scripture in a faithful and obedient way, we can all live blessed and ongoing reforming lives with and before the Lord. Then, as our text concludes, the God of peace will be with us. And that simply means that obeying these instructions, living out of faith, the Philippians and us will have God present to bless us. The God of peace, who has come near through Jesus Christ, will be constantly present through His Holy Spirit to help them and us. Brothers and sisters, let us pray that God will strengthen us with His Word and Spirit so that we, as parents and as teenagers, in fact, as a whole congregation, can reflect thoughtfully on these things and live meaningful in the light of them. Then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, also in this second term of school. Amen.